Nirvana Sashin for year 2020, a full day four, day five, depending on how you count, day one, depending on how you, how awake you were, <laughs> whether time is still relevant or not. <clears throat> Dawu is alive <clears throat> or dead, main case. Dawu visited a family with Jian Yuan for a condolence call. Jian Yuan tapped the coffin three times and said, alive or dead? Dawu said, I won't say alive, I won't say dead. Jian Yuan said, why won't you say? Dawu said, I won't say, I won't say. Jian Yuan could not understand at the time. Later, he heard the Avalokiteshvara chapter of the Lotus Sutra being chanted. It said, For one who has attained the monastic body, Avalokiteshvara appears in the monastic's body and expounds the Dharma. Hearing this, Jian Yuan came to realization. Commentary, even in his not saying, Dao has said it all, but Jian Yuan does not know that it is right in his face. Later, hearing a workman chanting the Avalokiteshvara chapter of the Lotus Sutra, Jian Yuan suddenly realizes Dao compassionate teaching and says, At the time, I was wrongly suspicious of my late master. How was I to know that this was not a matter of words or phrases? If you call it alive, you will have negated the fact. If you say dead, you have missed the truth of the matter by 100,000 miles. To say it is neither alive nor dead, or both alive and dead, compounds the absurdity. At such a time, what will you call it? Capping verse. In birth, not an atom is added. In death, not a particle is lost. Therefore, life is called the unborn. Death is called the unextinguished. So always with koans, we don't give you the answer. <laughs> so when Dao says, I won't say, I won't say, this is a compassionate act. As I said yesterday, my words don't help you. My experience doesn't help you, except in as much as I can encourage you to go on, to continue on the path. It's like someone at the top of the mountain saying, it's really beautiful up here. The view is beautiful. But you want somebody who's climbed, and maybe climbed it a lot, 
and maybe fallen off and picked themselves up and dust themselves off themselves off and continued again. So this is a koan in itself. In birth, not an atom is added. In death, not a particle is lost. As with all koans, you get a feeling of what that's about because you came, you were born from that truth and you will return to that truth. But in between, we get confused. So our practice asks us to clear up that confusion. Alive or dead, that's the koan by itself to ponder. Is that skeleton on the altar alive or dead? How about the fresh flowers on the altar, alive or dead? And the mind will always say, ah, da, 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 da. just say, shh, 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 shh. We're going deeper than what you have to say. What makes you say alive about the flowers or maybe dead about the skeleton? What makes something alive or dead to you? Think of someone you love who has died. Are they alive or dead? When a living tree is cut down, when does it become a dead tree? Is this floor alive or dead? This floor that many of you have sat many hours with, faithful companion, glowing in the night. Is it alive or dead? It's made of bamboo. Is that bamboo alive or dead? The cucumbers you had for lunch, alive or dead? Alive on the vine? Alive in your mouth a few hours ago? Alive now? If you say yes, prove how alive they are. That's what colon study is. If you have an inkling they're still alive, how do you show that without speaking words, which are only covering up the truth? That's why in Cohen's idea, you have to demonstrate your experience. As soon as you speak a word, you move away from it. You make it dead. If you say the cucumbers are dead, then prove that they are dead. This is not a matter of ordinary mind's concepts. Well, the cucumber was alive until you picked it, then it started dying, and certainly after it sliced, this is like philosophy, right? Certainly after it is sliced and chewed by my teeth and mixes with my stomach acid, it's not alive anymore, it's dead. End of discussion. Really? What if you had a vivid dream featuring a lovely cucumber salad? And in the dream you enjoyed eating it. When you awoke, would it be alive or dead? In the dream, was it alive or dead? There's a koan about this in the collection of koans early on. Bring me the peel of the orange you ate yesterday. Alive or dead? Can you make it alive if you feel like it's alive? 
It's actually asking this question about you in the guise of an orange peel that now lies in the compost bin behind the kitchen. Alive or dead? You, 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 are you alive to the reality of your life? Or walking about like a miserable zombie? Dogen Zenji said, on various people's faces hang old Gautama's eyes, and yet they beat their chests with fists in empty grieving. Stop the empty grieving. Awareness doesn't die. We have a chant dedication that says, Awareness pervades the entire universe existing right here now. This will be overwhelmingly clear to you if you just stop talking out here and in here. And I might add, stop moving around. At this stage of your practice, every movement of the body, except the natural movements of breathing and the heart beating, every movement that you initiate clouds your perception of pure awareness. So there are many stages. One is discovering pure awareness, the joy, the bliss of pure awareness. But that's not a place that we remain. It has to be brought into daily life. That's a big challenge. How to maintain a foundation in pure awareness. How to maintain awareness of that place which is always still, always silent, never dies, while working in the world of change and death. One person tried moving their eyes in this session for not moving their eyes in this session for the first time. So that's why we keep giving those instructions every session, because eventually one person will go, "Oh, maybe I'll try that." So the person tried it and was very surprised that it made a difference in their concentration. Yes, we do walking meditation. Isn't that movement? Yes, walking meditation is wonderful. It helps unfold and stretch your legs. It it tests and then sharpens your skills to maintain concentration while you're moving. Ultimately becomes very beautiful. The sensations on the bottom of the feet alone can be quite exquisite when the mind is quiet. I mentioned it the other day in, in walking meditation instructions, but test it for yourself. When you're walking along the boards, it's different than when you turn and walk across the boards. And walking meditation shows you that you can meditate every time, anywhere, everywhere you walk. Oh, I don't have time for meditation. Solved. If you walk, you can meditate. And yet we have very few, if any, statues of the Buddha walking. In the the columbarium where we have different statues of the Buddha and Avalokiteshvara, 
we have one from Sri Lanka where there's a particular posture with one foot forward. It's not walking, though. I've actually never seen any statues of the Buddha walking. Standing, yes. In Sri Lanka, there's some gigantic ones on cliff faces, carved out of cliff faces. A standing Buddha. Awesome. But almost all the statues that you see of the Buddha are seated with the cosmic mudra. Almost all the statues are silently showing us what works. We stabilize and quiet the body in order to quiet the mind. So many, there are many fears about dying. One is of pain. And those of you who have worked with pain creatively in session after session and have broken through that fear, you realize that pain is not a solid wall. It's something interesting. It may not be really comfortable, but it's something that can focus your mind quite well. But there's another thing that people are often afraid of about dying. What will happen to those we leave behind? So please close your eyes. We'll do another exercise using the creative power of imagination. To become aware of your body that sits here and breathes and listens. And then imagine that suddenly you die. Doesn't matter why, perhaps an arrhythmia. And we've had people keel over in the zendo a number of times. Nobody's died yet, but it will happen. So imagine that suddenly you just die, you just collapse, and you're dead. And at that moment, as many people describe, in near-death experiences, you pop out of your body and ascend up to the ceiling where you can look down and watch what's happening. You have crystal clear awareness, unimpeded by thoughts. You can see very clearly, but you have no agency. You cannot speak. You cannot act. You can only be aware. You look down, and you see a sudden activity in the zendo. People realize something's happened. Some people get up. Maybe some people take the pulse of this body you're watching that was once yours and start CPR. Someone rushes off and calls 911. Paramedics arrive from town. They continue life support efforts, life resuscitation efforts, pack this body into an ambulance and off it goes and you follow it. You follow it as they take it to a hospital. You see the emergency room doctors working on this body that used to be yours and they finally give up. They cannot restore life to this body. 
then you watch people from the monastery arrive, calls that are made to friends and family to let them know what's happened. You can see their reaction because now that you're out of a body, you can travel anywhere and see anything just by having a thought. Your co-workers, if you have them, are informed. The Sangha is informed. You watch from above the reactions. Now, because you're able to move through time as well as space, you go to your memorial service. You watch from above as people give speeches. Some people cry. The service is over. And what happens to your body? Now you fast forward one month. One month after the memorial service, the funeral, the disposition of the remains of this body you lived in for a while. And you can visit your family and friends. Again, you can only be aware. You cannot speak or act. And what do you see? How are they doing? Perhaps you visit your coworkers at work. Friends from where you live or people at the temple, you can watch what's happening. How are people doing? Now you fast forward six months, six months after you died. And again, you can visit your family, your friends, any co-workers, any groups you belong to, you can visit and become aware of how they're doing. You can also see your possessions, what's happening to them. The clothes that you had, jewelry, toiletries, shoes, Jackets, scarves, hats, books, teapots, whatever was precious to you when you had a body, what's happening to those things now? Now you fast forward a year, a year from the time your body died. If your body was buried in the ground, you might take a peek.
Now visit your family and your friends. Visit Sangha members, the temple, the monastery. (coughs) How's everybody doing? If, if, if you had the power of speech, if you could whisper a few words to them, what would you whisper? Now fast forward 10 years, 10 years after this body died. 10 years have passed and you visit your family and your friends, your co-workers. Perhaps you even take a peek at your body if it's in the ground. What do you see? How's everyone doing? what's happened to your possessions 10 years after you died. What remains? Does anything remain? Now we fast forward 25 years, 2045. 25 years. You look for your family and friends, and what do you find? People you used to work with, people you went to school with, college with, what do you find? Your possessions? Now fast forward 100 years, 2,120, 100 years from the time cause and effect could no longer hold your body together. Your body died and awareness remains. What do you see in 100 years? Besides awareness, What of this person, this body, this collection of objects around this person remains? And now 200 years, 200 years from the time this body gave up life. Is there any trace of the existence of that person who had had your name for a while? Where has that person dispersed to? Not just possessions, but the physical and psychical energy. Where is it now?
Does anything remain? Does any re- anything remain that affects the world 200 years from now? Thank you for doing this exercise. It's one that's helpful to do at least once a year. We talk about transformation, liberation. To experience transformation, you have to have the pivot turn. To be engulfed by liberation, you must break the enchantment of thinking. You must learn to settle the mind so that thinking recedes into the background. These days, computers are very helpful because we have the screen and we have the little icons. So usually thinking fills the screen. What if... Oh, danger. Oh, no. Worry. Oh... Fills the screen completely, tangled. Buddha called it a skein. Skein skein is like a skein of yarn. It's like you give a cat a ball of yarn and you come back in two hours and you have a tangled skein. And that completely obscures our view of the rest of reality. So when we learn to settle the mind, the thinking shrinks down into a small icon. Like... And the rest is pure awareness. And then even that icon disappears for a while. So we have to learn to settle the mind so that thinking recedes into the background and then to become so uninterested in our uninteresting thoughts and so engrossed in everything else, the breath, sound, anything, the floor, the question alive or dead, so engrossed that we let go of thinking and enter a silent, alertly aware mind. Can't even call it mind, hmm? I used to belong to a Zen Catholic dialogue group and we met every year for about eight years, eight or ten years. And the Catholics who came were of the more mystical persuasion because they were interested in Zen people. And we discovered after the first meeting of kind of, you know, me me asking, so there was only one son of God, what about a daughter of God? Sorts of questions. (laughs) And they're asking like, Emptiness? What the heck is emptiness? We began to dialogue. And actually, um, what broke the ice was the question, um, how did you decide to dedicate your life to this? So we we had parish priests, we had bishop, we had academics at Loyola University, we had every kind of Catholic, but very dedicated a woman who uh, has worked for decades for St. Vincent de Paul, 
whose practice, when we got down to the brass tacks of what is your actual practice, was to see anybody who came in the door of St. V to P as Jesus. It's a pretty nice practice. So one Catholic nun told us that um, her way, that every morning she prayed for at least an hour before she began her day. And the prayer that she did was not petitionary prayer, which is how we usually think of prayer. It was a prayer of withdrawing the self completely into complete receptivity. That sounds familiar. And in a way, the way that's sometimes described is God can't speak to you if the line is busy. So we would say, you can't access Prajnaparamita if the pipes are clogged with thoughts and emotions. So once thinking receives into the background and everything else becomes much more interesting, then you can enter a silently alert, aware mind, even, even for a moment, tantalizing experience. Ah, it's possible. All the Zen masters say it in different ways. Kanshi Sozan Zenji says, cut off all useless thoughts and words, and there's nowhere you cannot go. Returning to the root, you'll find the meaning of all things. Just let go now of clinging mind, and all things are just as they are in essence. Nothing goes or stays. From small mind comes rest and unrest, but mind awakened transcends both, both rest and unrest. Dogen Zenji says, in his instructions for Zazen, therefore put aside the intellectual practices of investigating words and chasing phrases and learn to take the backward step that turns the light and shines it inward. Body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face will manifest. If you want such a thing, get to work on it immediately. For practicing Zen, a quiet room is suitable suitable. Eat and drink moderately. Okay. Put aside all involvements and suspend all affairs. Pretty much have to if you come to Sashin. Here's where it gets a little trickier. Do not think good or bad. Do not judge true or false. Give up the operations of mind. Give up the operations of mind, intellect, and consciousness. Stop measuring with thoughts, ideas, and views. Have no designs on becoming a Buddha. How could that be limited to sitting or lying down? So the very designs on this is where I'm going can get in the way, just as thoughts of good and bad. And he talks about sitting on a mat and tying your robes. Once you have adjusted your posture, take a breath and exhale fully. Rock your body right and left and settle into steady, immovable sitting. Think of not thinking, 
not thinking. What kind of thinking is that? Non-thinking. This is the essential art of Zazen. The Zazen I speak of is not meditation practice. It is simply the Dharma gate of joyful ease. The practice, realization of totally culminated enlightenment. It is the koan realized. Traps and snares can never reach it. If you grasp it, you are like a dragon gaining the water, like a tiger taking to the mountains. For you must know that the true Dharma appears of itself, so that from the start dullness and distraction are struck aside. So we have various ways of striking aside dullness and distraction. It inevitably arises, but then there are times when you enter an awareness that doesn't have you in it. Often people use the phrase aware of awareness, but that's extra. Because that means there's somebody who's aware that they're aware. So it's pure awareness. It's beyond being aware. Aware of awareness is a very valuable practice, but there's something beyond that. Hong Zhu, the chant guidepost for the Hall of Pure Bliss, says, the others die from being too busy, but I maintain continuity. Continuity is what everyone here is manifesting during this session. The continuity of practicing, mind wanders off, returning, returning again and again. He goes on, in the wonder of continuity are no traces of subtle identifications. So no one who is aware of being aware. Within purity is bliss. Within silence is illumination. Dwelling in peace and forgetting hardship. Let go of adornments and become genuine. Let go of the adornments of skin, the flesh, the parts that stick out, the parts that go in. doesn't matter. Simply sit as a skeleton. Let go of the thoughts that adorn your clever, clever mind. Let go of adornments and become genuine. The motto for becoming genuine is, nothing is gained by speaking. Oh gosh, couldn't be clearer. Speaking externally, which stirs up the mind, and speaking internally, which is itself the mind stirred up. Inside the circle, the circle of deep samadhi, the self vanishes. It subtly turns the mysterious pivot, the original light appears. Again, Hongzhu, in the guidepost for silent illumination, silent and serene forgetting words, losing interest in words, becoming more interested in everything else, forgetting words so that when it's time to talk after a session, sometimes it's a little hard to summon the words. Bright clarity appears before you. Inner illumination restores wonder. What is this wonder alertly seeing through confusion? This is one of the most wonderful things about our practice, that you can drop in a question whether it's a koan or one of your own life koans, 
can drop in a question and then just do the practice. Just clarify the mind. And sooner or later, and it could be while you're driving home at night, bloop, up it comes. Whoa. I see. Or sometimes in the morning, if you don't have to get up fast, quickly you wake up and before the self and its worries assemble, you turn your mind gently to the thing that you've been pondering, something that's important. And all of a sudden it opens like a flower. And then you have the thought, i got to remember this, i better write it down. Which is okay. Alertly seeing through confusion, this gives us that ability. Later he says, but if illumination neglects serenity, then aggressiveness appears. Whoa, see how clear I am? Boy, I busted my gut getting this clear. And I had this great big breakthrough. You unenlightened peasants, let me tell you about it. And he goes on, but if serenity neglects illumination, murkiness leads to wasted dharma. Oh, I'm so happy just sitting here. Don't bother me with the problems your big self has cooked up or the problems of the imaginary dream world. I'm quite content. If it weren't for people, that is, I could be quite content. What is it like to be functioning from awakened awareness? He tells us, the body being empty, the arms are in activity. The body being empty, the arms are in activity. And then he says it again, the ruler stays in the kingdom, the general goes beyond the frontiers. Do you see? The general goes to work in the world of distress, while the ruler stays quietly seated at home. When you cultivate that home, you will be able to work in this world of sadness without being dragged down into it. And when you do begin to get dragged in, when you become confused or overwhelmed by the things of the world, and always when you emerge from Sashin, you discover more problems in the world, you will always have a place of refuge and clarity within. place to return to, to sit in, to walk with, and there to tap into the source. The source, the ultimate source of wisdom and compassion, which are already yours. They're just hidden. But when the mind clears and the mind isn't judging good and bad, like and dislike, When that just stops, when nothing can give offense, then wisdom and compassion are there. And then you can go back to work in the trenches of human suffering with clarity, equanimity, and a kind heart. Dogen Zenji says, a deluded person and an enlightened person at the same time share one boat. And each is not obstructed. And that boat is your body-mind. A deluded person and an enlightened person share the boat of your body-mind. 
and each is not obstructed. The general has his work, her work, their work. The ruler has their work. Perfectly coordinated. We hope. Hmm? Someday. When Dogen Zenji was speaking at the Peri Nirvana ceremony in 1247, which is about six years before he died, he died young, so he was 47 years old in 1247, he said, the twin salal trees, which are the trees under which the Buddha died, some people say it was one tree that split into two trunks, like they do sometimes, and the Buddha was lying between them, the twin salal trees did not receive the power of spring. So the footnote says that they died, they withered and died after the Buddha died, so they didn't experience the next spring. Their work was done. After a snowfall, how can we know the midnight frost? So, always there's something under the words. It's a beautiful experience of midnight snowfall, midnight frost when you walk and it crunches, squeaks, stars are clear above you, it's lovely. And your mind opens into the vastness of existence. But snowfall and frost also refer to aspects of practice in the world. Buddha held up and turned the empty sky laid himself down in the world. The Tathagata admitted light twice from his forehead. These are all part of the legend of the Buddha dying. Then Dogen Zenji says, the eating bowls of the seven Buddhas are bottomless. The eating bowls of the seven Buddhas are bottomless. In almost all traditions, there are folk tales of a bottomless pot, you know, it's continually removed. Uh, renewed. In Australia, they have a children's story, the cut and come again puddin. So every time you cut it, knead it, it just regenerates itself. The eating bowls of the seven Buddhas are bottomless, but for sentient beings, this disaster of the Buddha dying was awful. If you say that Shakyamuni is extinguished, you are not his disciple. If you say he is not extinguished, your words do not hit the mark. Your words do not hit the mark. Having reached this day, how do you respond? Do you want to see the life vein of the Buddha? Says Dogen Zenji, challenging all the assembled. Do you want to see the life vein of the Buddha? And then he pauses. Then he says, offer incense, make bows, and return to the meditation hall. Where is Dogen Zenji now, alive or dead? Where is the sound of the bell in his temple, Eiheiji, in Japan? Where is the light of the candle by which he wrote the Genjo Koan? These are all koans. We've been chanting the Shariraimon, homage to the relics of the Buddha. 
In this box are the bones of my teacher, Taizan Maizumi, some of the skeleton that supported his walking and teaching. Is Maizumi Roshi alive or dead? He he says, I won't say. (laughs) Because it's for us to say and for us to do. You, every one of you, is his life vein, his greater body, his vow manifesting in the particular flesh draped around your particular and temporary bones. Alive or dead? It seemed to me, in this session, very alive. The Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, and teachers of the past all witnessed this and rejoice. I thank you all for the work that you have been doing to uncover your undying essence. Please continue this, this very best work a human can do. And then go out beyond the frontiers and serve. Serve any being in any wholesome way. Just serve. And return to Sashin to be renewed. Return to Sashin to be renewed. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The Buddha is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it. Beings are numberless, I vow.